The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. June is LGBTQ plus Pride Month, a month that recognizes the 1969 Stonewall Uprising that took place at the Stonewall Inn in New York City. To honor this month, we have collaborated with the LGBTQ plus colleague network group at Cornell to create a special series called Beyond Binaries. Through this series, we will interview Cornell staff who identify as LGBTQ to share what pride means to them and celebrate the diverse lived experiences among members of the LGBTQ community at Cornell. My name is Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. And you are listening to Beyond Binaries. Michelle, thank you so much for being our guest on our Beyond Binary series. And so before we get started, if you just want to do an introduction of yourself, your name, pronouns, where you work here at Cornell, as well as some of your salient identities. Sure, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, Anthony. I'm Michelle Westcott. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I work for eCornell, uh, which is the external education part of Cornell. I'm an instructional design director. And my salient identities, I thought that was a really great part. So I'm Black, I'm female, I am lesbian. I am also a mother and a vegetarian. And I like to include all of those because really all of those things make me who I am. So I, I liked I liked that I got to identify myself with my identities, Anthony. So thank you for that. Yes. And special shout out to one of our great colleagues, Jen Micah, who actually inspired us to ask that question nice. for the series. And so she was a part of one of our summit panels, the Inclusive Excellence Summit panels. And she asked that question. She asked us to ask that question. And I thought it was a really great one. So shout out <laughs> to Jen good. Micah for that. So before we get started, I wanted to ask you a trivia question. I learned a lot myself. And so right. <laughs> I, I, I know you don't know the question in advance. So the question related to Pride Month in general is how many countries have legalized same-sex marriage? Ooh. Oh, that's really interesting. 11. Is that your final answer? <laughs> that's my final answer. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a good guess, but the answer is more than double that, actually. Really? Really, really. Yeah. So the answer is 29. The little text here I'll read to you is on April 21st, 2001, the Netherlands became the first country to legalize same-sex marriage. Since then, 28 other countries have done the same. While this is progress, there are many more countries in the world that don't offer LGBTQ couples the same rights as heterosexual couples. Wow, that's, yeah, that's that's way higher than I thought, obviously, because I guessed 11. But yeah, there's lots of progress to be made. <laughs> oh, and this is what, 20 years later from yeah. another one yeah. in the first country. So yeah, a lot, a lot more progress to go. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle, I really, you know, just want to thank you again for being part of this series. And as we think about Pride Month, as we think about just, I think about so many different things, right? Feelings, emotions, celebrations, whatnot. So mm -hmm. to kick us off in terms of this conversation, I just want to ask you, when you hear the word pride, what words, feelings, or experiences do you immediately think of? 
It's a really interesting and kind of loaded word for me, Anthony. You know, as I said, in my identities, I'm a Black woman, so was once a Black child. And growing up in my household, pride was something that my parents really, really instilled in us. And it was almost like a defense against the world, right? So a world that undervalues our contributions as Black people, my parents made sure that we always knew that one, they were proud of us, but also that we should be proud of ourselves, regardless of what the world told us. So when I came out in my late teens, I, you know, sort of took that definition of pride or that, that need for pride. And I, I laid it over all of my identities, including my identity as a lesbian. And I knew that I knew that the world was a harsh place. I knew that being a lesbian was something that wasn't even understood in my family. So therefore it wouldn't really be understood in the greater world. Um, my parents were really loving and accepting and kind and were honest and said, we don't understand this, <laughs> teach us. And I'm really grateful that I had that parenting experience because I know that a lot of LGBT youth do not have that experience, but pride just became something that is almost like armor against the world that will undervalue you or disregard you or deny you rights. I was always taught in everything to stand tall and to be proud of myself and proud of my identities. And um, that didn't change when I came out. So that's what pride really means to me is being literally being loud and proud, but just like, you know, having that sort of shine through as your identity. There is nothing to be ashamed of. There is nothing to hide. There is nothing that, you know, should be secret. And, you know, just making sure that the world knows you can say whatever you want. This is who I am. And I know that I have value. I'm trying not to get emotional here. (laughs) I just think that's such a beautiful message. And it's, it's so kind of different from my own experience. And so that's why I feel like it's such a beautiful message to kind of be reminded of that, right? And for our listeners to hear that, because I know for me, in terms of my upbringing, and this is something that I talked about with Toral, it is just the role of culture and how the role of culture really, and when I mean culture, more so in terms of like racial, ethnic identity, how that has influenced part of my coming out process, not in the most positive of ways, but how Mm -hmm. I've grown to be more prideful, how I had to learn the word pride and redefine what pride meant for me after coming out just because of that kind of cultural backlash initially at the onset when I did first come out. And so I think just hearing your story and hearing just how different it is from mine, I think it's such a beautiful message to be reminded of and to just, you know, remember for our listeners like that you know, pride can mean so many different things beyond just this one identity, right? So yes. I just, I love that. So Thank you. Thank uh, you, Anthony. So when I think of this Pride Month, right, I, there are a mm-hmm. lot of memories that I attribute with it, a lot of experiences. And so can you talk about the first moments where you felt truly represented and included, whether it was at work or in a different setting? What was that like? Yeah, that's a great question, Anthony. And I'm going to focus on the word moments because for me, it truly is moments, moments in time that are like ingrained in my memory. You know, I have so many different identities that I have never like in a like long-term consistent fashion felt 
completely recognized or completely accepted. But there are those moments in time. And one that I remember so significantly was actually when I live in Rochester, New York, and um, my wife and I moved here from Columbus, Ohio. And we'd engaged a realtor and he, the more he learned about us, the less he wanted to work with us. So I don't know if it was, if it was race, if it was because we were lesbians, if it was because we were working class, I don't know. But the more he learned about us, the less he wanted to work with us. And the night before we flew from Ohio to New York, he decided he didn't want to be our realtor. So he sort of fobbed us off onto a colleague that I later learned he did not like. <laughs> she did not like him. And so he he put us with this colleague. And the minute I met her, I felt completely seen, completely accepted. She was a Black woman. She was a lesbian. She had a partner. My wife's name is Michelle. My name is Michelle. Her name was Linda and her wife's name was Linda. So (laughs) like in, in so many ways, and um, my wife is white. I'm black. Linda, the realtor is black and her wife is white. So (laughs) in every respect, I felt known. I felt seen. I told her, You know, I wanted to live in a neighborhood where I didn't feel like the only black person and that my wife didn't feel like the only white person. I wanted to live. I didn't even really have to explain to her where I wanted to live. She got it. She totally understood it. And I felt so seen. And so I think of this story and how we were rejected by our first realtor. I think of it with so much happiness, because quite honestly, if he had not rejected us for whatever reasons he did and fobbed us off to his worst enemy, (laughs) we wouldn't have had the amazing experience that we had. Um, We found the perfect house in the perfect neighborhood for us and have loved living here for 16 years. So I I think of that and I've had so many moments like that throughout my life of just feeling fully seen and understood because I'm interacting with someone who has similar lived experiences or who looks like me or acts like me or has, you know, the same combination of, of experiences as me. And I love, I love those times. I just also recognize that those times are few and far between, I think, because they need to be so that I can, you know, interact with people who don't look like me and don't act like me and don't think like me because that diversity adds so much to life. And then there are times when I just really want to be understood without explanation and interacting with people who have similar lived experiences is so critical in those times when maybe you're hurting or vulnerable, like, you know, moving to a totally new state and buying a house sight unseen. So I just think about it that way. Yes, there are definitely moments. um, They're few and far between, but that creates this value in them. And it leaves lots of space and time for me to learn more about others. It makes me think of a couple of things, Michelle, what you just shared is that sometimes rejection, even as a member of the community, can actually be a positive thing, right? And so I think oftentimes people are always so like, 
you know, you don't want to be rejected. And so I think in certain spaces like work, right, that's not a really great place where you want to be rejected. But sometimes right. rejections outside of that context can actually lead to better opportunities, right? And better <laughs> connections with other people who might have similar identities. It makes me think of this experience when I was studying abroad and my host family, I was supposed to stay with a host family that was all women. So the woman didn't feel comfortable having, because it was me and another male. And so they didn't feel comfortable having two men in their house with a house full of women. So at the last minute, they switched us. And then my new house, my house family there, my house father in particular, he was gay. Like he is gay, still, right? So <laughs> it ended up working out because then when we met, we kind of gave each other that look, you know, that look when, yes. you, when you see another queer person in a space full of straight people and you're like, mm. <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, and so literally the first time I saw him, we we exchanged glances and then I was like, oh my goodness. And then we had a conversation. I remember the first night we moved in, he showed us the house and he said, I just want to let you both know I'm gay. I have a partner who I've been with for 20 plus years. And if both of you have a problem with there, if either one of you do, we're going to have a problem. Right. There was this awkward silence moment. And then I said, well, that's great because so am I. <laughs> After that, like, you know, yeah. it was a last minute switch, but I think it ended up working out for the better. And the mm-hmm. host family who initially we, I was going to stay with, they, it's not that it's because I was gay. They didn't know I was gay before. Sure. That, but and they ended up, we ended up being really good friends with them because they were family members of my host dad and their family. And so, <laughs> so it just all worked out for the better. But I, you know, I think about that moment a lot as like a moment of rejection initially, but then it mm-hmm. ended up working out for the better. And I could not imagine that experience with anyone else. And then another thing that it made me think of in terms of like what you shared and in terms of your story is just the importance of connecting with people who have similar identities to you. Mm-hmm. I know that's something that's really big for me, especially when it comes to my health care. So, for example, I just actually ended my therapy sessions with a therapist who I was very intentional about seeking, who also identified as queer, Latino, Latinx. And I told them at the very end of my session, I said, it's just so nice to connect with somebody where I didn't have to do that education work, right? I didn't yes. have to educate them on that intersection of identities, on that lived experiences. He just simply understood it and was able to really give me strategies, right? To be able to overcome mm-hmm. some of the challenges that I had regarding my mental health and well-being and health in just general, right? And so I told him, I was like, it was such a liberating experience and I wanted him to know that as I was finishing my sessions with him because it was just so impactful, you know, to just not have Mm -hmm. to do the education work. And then shortly after I had heard somebody who a family member of mine who had sought out therapy and they quit because they said every session felt like they had to educate their therapist. And I was like, no, like that's exactly what I don't want. And I hope nobody ever has to go through that. But the reality is that a lot of people do. Right. And so I think, absolutely. I think it's another part of your story that really resonated with me, just the importance of connecting with people with similar experiences and identities where you don't constantly have to explain yourself. Yes. So key. Uh, And when I think of pride month, I think of that, like you should be able to just be yourself authentically. And for one month, at least, not have to constantly educate people about your identities. Right. It's so important, Anthony. And it's something that I was thinking about when I was reading and preparing for this podcast. Like LGBTQ plus is such a big bucket. Like, and I completely agree with you that in Pride Month, you know, and beyond really, quite honestly, we should always be able to find people who know what it's like to be us, you know, to seek those moments of solace and support, but especially in Pride Month. But I think one thing that we forget is it's such a big bucket of people. Like 
my lived experience is still very unique, even amongst LGBTQ plus, right? And I think sometimes, especially if you're outside the community, we kind of assume that we understand everything about all of the different identities. And sometimes we put that pressure on ourselves. I know I was, I can't even remember what I was working on, but I was working on something and I didn't know. And it was, it was somebody who was non-binary and used they, them pronouns. And I was like, does the verb become plural? I don't know how to, and I was ashamed to ask. I was like, I should know this. I'm a lesbian. (laughs) I'm in the LGBTQ community. Uh I should know how to use all the pronouns. And I was like, I don't. And I sought out a friend who uses they, them pronouns and I knew wouldn't like judge me. And they told me and they were really honest too. They were like, yeah, when I first started using these pronouns, I wasn't quite sure either. So I Googled it and, and I said, I Googled it too, but I got two different answers and we ended up having this great conversation about it. And I think that's really, really important to like, if you're in the LGBTQ community to just acknowledge, hey, you know, you represent one subset of this LGBTQ plus lived experience. And it's okay to not be completely clear about everything else. And for the greater populace to to not think every lesbian knows what every bisexual's experiences and every gay man's experiences and every trans person's experience and non-binary, like we don't necessarily know everything and don't expect us to be a representative of the LGBTQ community. Just like don't expect me as a black woman to be a representative of the black experience. Mm-hmm. I'm a representative of Michelle Westcott's experience. Yeah. And I know what it's like to be a black lesbian in America, but I don't know what it's like to be every black lesbian in America either. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think, I don't know, something, you know, in this, like, we're such a big group, like, you know, and Pride Month celebrates so much different culture, you know, and, and different experiences and and I was thinking, you know, I know you have a question about advocacy and how we advocate even outside of Pride Month. And, and that's what was just making me think. I'm like, there's so many different things and things I don't even necessarily know, you know, and, and things that as a lesbian, like you were saying, marriage is legal. You know, I can go and get married, but there's lots of people in the LGBTQ community who can't we don't all have equal access to the same things. So there's even like privilege in our community that we need to recognize and think about. And anyways, sorry, (laughs) just all got me thinking about. Yeah. I just want to say, I hope our listeners, we listen to the last four or five minutes of this, of what you just shared, because yes, yes. And yes. And I think it needs to be like, it needs to be put on a higher pedestal that information that knowledge that you just dropped with everyone. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing all of that. <laughs> so I guess since we did answer some of the, well, since in, you already answered some of the questions I was going to ask you. I think we sorry. Can, <laughs> totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> I'm wondering, Michelle, from your perspective, you know, what are some of the 
And then you touched a little bit upon this, but maybe if you can expand on it a little bit more since you already got to it towards the end of just Mm -hmm. what are some of these pressing and relevant issues affecting members within the community? You talked a little bit about privilege within the community. So I think that's a really key one. But what are some other ones that come to mind for you? Well, one of my identities is that of mother. I have a nine-year-old daughter and something that is I feel critical. We read a lot. We are always at the library. Books are our friends. We are constantly immersing ourselves in books. And having LGBTQ representation in books is so important. One thing that, you know, has been important for my daughter ever since she was a baby is seeing herself in the books that she's reading. And that means something different as she gets older. So when it when she was really little, it's seeing other little girls who look like her. And she would look at a book and anyone who had, she's got sort of like cocoa colored skin, anyone who had cocoa colored skin, she'd be, that's me, that's me in a book. It didn't matter what nationality, what gender, what ethnicity, it didn't matter anything. If they had the same color skin as my daughter, she saw herself in a book. So as she gets older, you know, she's able to distinguish different characteristics and, you know, she starts noticing, wow, there's no families that look like mine in these books. There's no families with two moms, or if there are, they're two moms of the same color. You know, there's not a black mom and a white mom. Maybe they have more kids or maybe they, you know, don't have kids or, or something like that. So, you know, she, she's like got a laser focus to see, families that look like her. And then I think of, I have, I have kids in my family who have recently come out as bi and trans. And I think when they, and they were older than my daughter, when they were kids, there were no bi or trans kids in books. Like we don't really necessarily talk about sexuality of children (laughs) in books, but kids are coming out younger and younger. And, you know, maybe we do need to start talking about that. Maybe we do need to start seeing just representations of kids and the sort of realizations that they're having at the ages they're having them so they don't feel so alone. So they, you know, maybe in their community, they aren't going to find another little trans kid, but if they can in a book, that at least makes a huge difference. If they can find someone who looks like them, who acts like them or presents like them, who's having the same struggles. And there, there are some books that really do, you know, explore the continuity and the, you know, differences and, and show the reality of life. But they're so few and far between. They're not usually at the library. They're not usually in mainstream bookstores. You have to order them online. And that presents a question of access. That presents a question of equity. And that presents, you know, a question of the immediacy of it. If right now I am struggling with this and I just realized this thing about myself, wouldn't it be great if I could go to the corner and, you know, go into the bookstore in my neighborhood or the library in my neighborhood and see a book or some sort of resource that would help me through that. So I think, you know, because I am a mom and I've got a kid who I have no idea who she's going to be, but I want her to be able to sink herself into, you know, something that resonates with her. And I want that for all the, all the kids, the teens, the young adults, the 
40 some year olds like me who, you know, maybe I'm discovering something about myself and I'd really love to see myself in a book or in a resource that resonates with me, a television show, a podcast, something that resonates. And I think my main focus of advocacy is just that representation and knowing and understanding that how important that is. Absolutely. I When I think of representation, I think about, I'll be quite honest and say the show Pose that mm-hmm. is currently out on FX. That was probably, which was just released a few years ago, about a couple years ago, mm-hmm. actually. But that was probably one of the first times where I saw myself and I saw people and my friends, right, who looked like me or who, who looked like the members on the show, Black, queer, trans, brown like you know in terms of skin color everything right and so that was really like the first moment where I felt like oh my goodness and so I remember that first season I almost cried at like every episode because Mm -hmm. I could think of a moment that corresponded with my life and I it was something that I knew many of us had experienced other queer people of color but and trans people of color as well but then to see it on a major media platform like Pose and to see it backed up with these well-known writers and directors and producers, I was like, oh my goodness. And then to also know that the people behind the scenes were also queer and trans people of color. Like, I think it was so key. And And it's one of those things that I always remind people that when it comes to representation, it's one thing to have, save for the example with Pose, right? It's one thing to have the actors be members of the community as well. Mm-hmm. But imagine how much more powerful and significant it could be if you include people behind the scenes as well. Yes. To be writing these stories, to be producing these stories, directing these stories. That was Janet Mock's uh, first directorial debut was on the show in season one. And she was the first Black trans woman to ever direct a show for a major media network. You know, so it's like those types of things. And then you think about the storytelling, especially in that show, for me, that really resonated. I was like, wow, this is what happens when you're intentional about incorporating people from diverse backgrounds, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera too. And so I think about that a lot when I think about inclusion and what does true authentic inclusion look like? It's not about just the forward-facing, the Mm public-facing image, but also the people behind the scenes, right? So if we're talking about books, what would it mean to have the publisher and the people who work for the publishing companies who are also helping bring these stories to the forefront? You know, like there's just so much more power and you can tell, like particularly members from the LGBTQ community, all these intersection of identities, like you can tell when something's authentic and when something is not. And Pose for me me was really that first moment where I was like, wow, my community's here being represented and millions of people are seeing this. This is awesome. You know, it's, that's so beautiful, Anthony. And it's, it's beautiful and amazing. And it's also like, if that was the first time you're, you're a grown up, right? (laughs) You're an adult. And you just in the last couple of years saw yourself fully represented. And, and that was so impactful for you. And I, I feel the same way. Like, you know, we talked about these moments of when you felt fully seen, I don't even know what it would have felt like to like be seven and feel fully seen you know I and I had a great upbringing I had a great childhood my parents were wonderful my brother and sister were great but like I was different (laughs) I I wasn't you know I 
I didn't even know how I was different. I just knew I was different. And, you know, I was weird and I'm using finger quotes, although this is a podcast and you can't see that, (laughs) but, but, um, you know, I don't know, just making a difference for, for children. I think it just could make such a difference for society in general. If we start, you know, with the kids and just like accepting them and, and showing them providing them opportunities to have the experience that you had with Pose, like seeing yourself so fully and your experience represented in this way and how impactful that was for you. And then just imagining, you know, as a little kid, having any realization and seeing it represented fully somewhere in a book, in a cartoon, Mm -hmm. in something that like means something to you, just for all of the like self-esteem and self-hate that so many of us have gone through, I think it could, I, I think it could make a huge difference to erase some of that and make us, you know, not need so much therapy as adults. <laughs> yeah. To normalize it, to make it okay. And to not feel so excluded from the outside world because other systems, right. Other institutions yeah. aren't representing who you truly authentically are, uh, mm-hmm. I think is so key. And, you know, I just, I, I really appreciate that response that you shared with your child, for example, and just the importance of representation as a child. And like you said, I don't know how I would have responded if I had that <laughs> representation early on. And uh, yeah, I mean, just to know that it could be, it could have such a significant impact and also just kudos to all the young LGBTQ children that are coming out at a younger age in life. I mean, the amount of courage and bravery that they must have. I mean, yes. kudos. I would have never been able to, especially, and this is that, you know, I grew up, you know, as a child in the early 2000s, you know, into 2010s and everything. And so I, I couldn't because the representation yeah. wasn't there. The world wasn't ready for people like me to be sure. authentic and to come out in a very positive, reaffirming, safe, physically safe mm-hmm. way, right? So safety being a key part of that. And so, uh, you know, kudos to all the children out there and all the yeah. parents who are raising children in being their authentic selves. Yeah. And I echo those kudos. I also cannot imagine. I grew up in the 80s and I can't, I, like, I didn't even know the word lesbian. In the 80s. Yeah. I'm sure the word, the word was there. I know it was there because there was books written about it. But <laughs> yeah, it wasn't in my vocabulary. It wasn't my parents' vocabulary. Um, so I, uh, I came out in 94 and the process of coming out, I actually had to learn some new vocabulary and language to just like describe this thing. And, and, you know, was then in the process of teaching my family, like what these words meant. And, and thankfully, you know, thank God they wanted to know, they wanted to know who I was and were willing to listen and and accept which is, it's very harsh reality that that's not the reality that most, most people have or the experience that most people have, rather. Thank you, Michelle. We, I know we could talk about this for so much longer. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to thank you once again for taking the time, mm-hmm. for sharing your story with us on this series, on this show. And so as we wrap up our time together for our listeners, I wanted to ask you, how do you plan on celebrating Pride Month this year? <laughs> that's a great question. I 
don't know yet. We always go to the Pride Parade, um, but I don't know if they're having it this year. And uh, my daughter's too young to be vaccinated. So we have, you know, safety concerns and whatnot. But we will probably do what we always do with every celebration. And that's read a bunch of books about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> we love books. We love reading. We love stories. So I'm sure we'll find a bunch of books at our library and and just really enjoy pride through reading. I'm taking so many parenting notes from you. And just <laughs> the little that you've shared with us so far. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle, once again. Hope you have a wonderful day and happy Pride Month. Happy Pride to you too, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. It was really an honor. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cornell, as well as resources to honor and celebrate LGBTQ plus Pride Month, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of our special series, Beyond Binaries. <laughs>